0: Hey, everyone. It's Adam, and this is episode four of the Fouled Out podcast. It is Tuesday the 23rd, just after 5.30 p.m. here, and news just broke about an hour ago that Tiger Woods was in a really bad rollover car accident and that he may be severely injured. There isn't a lot known about the situation right now, so we won't be discussing it on the podcast today, but it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, Hopefully he's okay. For the episode today, uh, Matt's back, and we have our friend Carlos joining us as well. Carlos is a big Chicago sports fan, so we're looking forward to getting some of his thoughts on the Bears offseason and what's been going on with the Chicago Bulls lately. Let's go. Carlos are here, uh, ready to talk about some football. What's going on, guys? Uh,
1: excited to talk about this trade.
0: Doing pretty good, pretty good. Good. So, yeah, last time on the podcast, I mentioned that we were going to be doing football for a little bit, and we were going to dig into the NBA season, and then uh, Carson Wentz went and got himself traded to the pit. So, not keeping my promise, but you know, it's my podcast, so do whatever I want, so. Uh, Like I mentioned, Carson Wentz traded to the Colts for a third-round pick this year and a conditional second-round pick. The conditional second-round pick is next year's draft, and it becomes a first if Carson Wentz either uh, plays 75% of the total snaps or if he plays 70% of the snaps next year and the Colts make the playoffs. So big move for the Colts getting him reunited with his former offensive coordinator and Frank Reich, who is the head coach of the Colts now. Um, Kind of a big deal across the league. Uh, Teams that need a quarterback and other ones off the market. So, Matt, how are you feeling about Carson Wentz going to the Colts?
1: Uh, This is, in my mind, clearly the perfect position for him to land in. Um, I was actually listening to – another podcast with Brett Coleman and EJ and they were talking about how Frank Wright is like known as this like drill sergeant in terms of making sure his quarterbacks have their mechanics worked out and if you go back and watch the way Carson once was throwing the ball last year his body was all over the place there was no consistent mechanics it was anything that you don't want to see a quarterback doing he was doing last year. The dude was completely broken. So a lot of that's going to be cleaned up. I believe. Uh, I think we're going to see him bounce back closer to the way he was the year before when he had 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions, pretty damn good year in my mind. Um, and it. I think the secondary winners of this situation are the 49ers and the Raiders because Derek Carr and Jimmy G could very well be on the move as well. So
2: a
0: lot of guys out there right now, but even more quarterback hungry teams, Carlos, what are you, uh, how are you feeling about the Eagles trading once?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Matt. I think for Indianapolis, it was a good move. Great fit with Carson Wentz. Um, Matt mentioned that uh, with Carson Wentz and his mechanics and how Frank Wright is such like a drill sergeant, my concern there is there is rumors of Carson Wentz not really fitting in, not really listening to Doug Peterson and not taking his coach in. So I wonder if there's going to be any of that issue with Carson Wentz moving forward. Um, Also his contract, I'm not the biggest fan of, especially the way he played the last couple of years. And then the draft compensation, I think, um, with Indianapolis putting the conditional second in there. I I think that was a smart move on their part because A, A, Right now, it's a second pick, and it'll become a first if Carson wants meets those conditions, plays a lot. But we're asking Carson wants to play a lot, which he's been injured the past two years, and we don't know if he can be healthy, and we don't know if he's going to play up to his MVP level. But it's definitely worth a shot for Indianapolis to take. Um, they're a football team that looks like they're ready to win. They're a football team that went pretty far with Phillip rivers. And I mean, we all saw how rivers played last year and Indianapolis doesn't really need 2017 Carson once they just need somebody to get the ball down the field and make the plays. So I, th- I think it's good trade on both sides. Uh, we'll see what happens and um, moving forward. Hopefully Indy can, you know, start winning some football games.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point you brought up because a lot of people look at this trade and see Carson Wentz going back to Frank Reich and think, oh, that's the coach he had when he was going to be the MVP before he got hurt. The guy's going to get him back to his MVP form. And it's not necessarily what Indy needs. Um, like you said, they went pretty far. They gave the Bills a really good game in the playoffs last year. Um, you know, probably should have won that game. Uh, but it was definitely tight, and they could have maybe gone if they had won that game. So they don't need MVP Carson Wentz, but if they got him, then you know that's that's definitely the upside for Indy reuniting him. Like, right? um,
1: and let's let's keep in mind that also the Colts have a ton of cap space, and this is a really really good free agency for wide receivers. Yeah. Also, so we. Could very well see Indy go out and get someone like I don't know Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, guys who honestly they don't even need to be open in order to make the catch, and that can help settle down Carson once a little bit, knowing that he's got that safety blanket somewhere out there.
2: Plus, if you think about some of the players they have already. Um, They don't really need to have, like, an air raid offense or nothing. They have Jonathan Taylor that they can give the football 15, 20 times if they need to. Um, They just needed, in my opinion, they just needed a quarterback to play at a high level for them to go far. Yeah, and
1: it's
0: you guys hit the nail on the head. It's a night and day situation for Carson Wentz. He was sacked 50 times last season, the most in the NFL, even though he only played what, 12 or 14 games, something like that. So he's going from being behind a bad offensive line and not having a lot of weapons down there in Philly, not really any one game to speak of last year, to going behind one of the best offensive lines in all of football, led by Quentin and those guys. He's going to have a hell of a running game with Jonathan Taylor running behind that line. And he's going to have weapons too. I mean, it's not the greatest assortment of weapons in the world right there. Uh, right now in Indy, but Michael Pittman is going to be a stud. Still got T.Y. Hilton and you got a couple other receivers in that core too that are pretty good. So, yeah,
2: you
0: know, it's a way better yeah, situation man. for him. So definitely expect him to play better next year.
1: And there's a lot of things going on with Philly that I feel like led to that degradation of once, Obviously, there's a fair amount that is on Lent and he is responsible for. But little things like, you know, they had Travis Fulgham step up for a while and the dude was eating. I mean, he he was producing in a way that no one expected. And then Alshon Jeffrey suddenly gets healthy. healthy and Doug, Doug Peterson just says, all right, sit down. You those routes are now Elshon Jeffries, and Elshon Jeffries didn't really do very much at all. And Travis Fulgham never recovered that role in the offense.
0: Yeah, Fulgham was, was really good for them last year, but I do just want to throw out there that he was still a well, he was a six round pick. He was like a late pick. So when that's your best weapon, that's still kind of a struggle. Even though he played yeah. well.
1: But my, my point is more that, like, when they're taking a guy who's producing off the field, like, what's, what's the quarterback supposed to do?
2: <laughs> I wonder how much of that was um, Doug Peterson doing versus the front office because we all know what happened with Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Um, they were benching players pretty much blatantly, and all the fans knew, everybody knew they were benching players, so I wonder if, you know, benching Fulgram was in a similar aspect as that.
0: Yeah, this is a good point. It was never more evident than in that Washington game, the last game yeah. of the season, where they straight up benched Hurts. Uh, a move that I actually agree with. I know Matt's going to crucify me for saying that, but... Um, they're picking. I mean, they're picking seventh instead of eleven because they benched all these guys. But yeah, when you're tanking, when you're purposely trying to lose, it's a really bad situation for your quarterback. And Carson Wentz felt the brunt of that last year. Like I mentioned before, he got sacked fifty times. He also threw fifteen interceptions last year and fumbled the ball ten times. So not a great season for Carson Wentz. You know, not not all ten of those fumbles were turnovers, but he uh led all quarterbacks in uh, turnover worthy plays last year according to pff so tough situation going to a much better one so i think sounds like all three of us expecting to be better um yeah calculated risk by the colts to get their guy uh the conditions on the pick are definitely smart because there is a chance to get hurt and not play and then it ends up being a second and a third but uh also kind of a risk on Philadelphia's part. They trade away the guy that was supposed to be the face of their franchise, and he was going to be the MVP uh, about years ago. And they're, they're taking on a $33.8 million dead cap hit now, too. So, um, Carlos, how are you feeling about the Eagles side of this trade?
2: Um, I'm not sure what the Eagles do. I'm not sure what they can do. Uh, I don't see how the Eagles can turn their franchise around anytime soon. Um, uh, there's even reports that they're not even sure if Jalen Hurts is going to be their starting quarterback next year, which if you're not starting Hurts and then you trade once, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, they, the Eagles, they're, they're confusing team to me now. Um, they hired that head coach, I'm not sure his name off the top of my head, who had that horrible press conference. He seemed like he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I just don't see any positive spin, good way about what the Eagles are doing in the near future. And now on top, they have that dead cap hit from the once trade. So it just, for the Eagles side, I think they just had to trade it because once. Didn't want to be there, and yeah, whoever whoever's running the show over there, they got their hands full for sure.
1: Yeah i I definitely think that the financial side of this trade is bad for Philadelphia. Um, Thirty eight million in dead cap is never something that you want, um, but they didn't really have a choice at that point. I am gonna give head coach Nick Sirianni, the benefit of the doubt that he just wasn't ready for the public relations part of the job yet. Um, I think he's probably still a pretty smart coach. Um, did re- fairly well in Indy last year. so And he's had, uh, I want to say, some success with the Chargers as well if I'm remembering correctly. So, I mean, for their sake, hopefully some of that translates. Um, But the real question is, like, are they confident enough to hand the keys over to Jalen Hurts? Because if they're not, you have to go quarterback at six. There's no other option. Because
2: and you know what? Sorry to interrupt, but that might be the smart thing to do, even if um, they're somewhat confident in Jalen Hurts. Maybe draft a quarterback at six, and then you have Jalen Hurts that you can trade who's on whatever rookie contract that he's on. And with this Wednesday trade, we all see how many teams are still in need of a quarterback even after the fact he was traded, there's still a million teams that need a quarterback. So maybe that's the move for Philadelphia. They draft whoever's available at six and then trade trade uh, Jalen Hurts because I'm sure they could get something similar to the lunch trade or maybe even a first at that point.
1: Yeah, I think if you go go quarterback at six or even if you trade up to get one, you have to trade hurts. Uh, you can't take one and be like, "All right, we'll see which one wins the job in camp." Because then you're creating a divide in the team, and that doesn't work in a locker room. Uh, you need your team to be behind one quarterback. Everyone yeah. rallies behind that guy. Yeah, you know that. You have Tom Brady on your team, everyone rallies behind him. You have Stafford on your team, everyone rallies behind him. For better or worse, everyone rallies behind Aaron Rodgers, even though he's a terrible human being. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so they, they do still have Hertz in the building. I think at the very least, Hertz is a good trade asset after some of the flashes he showed running that offense last year. He had some really good plays and some good games. Uh, But a lot of it's with his legs. They, you know, I think Matt brought this point up a while ago is that uh, PFF had Jalen Hurts as one of the lowest graded passers last year. So it's going to be tough for them to move forward with him. And I think it's, you know, you guys are right. It's a big decision in the draft, whether they move forward with Hurts or they draft a quarterback. But they have to make that decision before they get into that. I think, you know, I, I don't think you can. In the draft, I don't think you just sit and wait and see what quarterback falls to you and take that one. I think you have to look at these quarterbacks and think, okay, that's the guy we want. Let's get him. And maybe you make Jalen Hurts a part of that trade. If you need to trade up, something. Yeah. Like that. But yeah, for the Eagles, I just think about where they were three years ago when they beat my Patriots in the Super Bowl. Hurts to talk about, but they were on top of the world. Um, you know, they won the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. And they were saying that, they were, you know, we could do this with Nick Foles. What can we do with Carson Wentz when he comes back next season? And to see how far the franchise has tumbled in the last few years to this mess they're in now, um, I'm not going to lie to the listeners, gives me endless amounts of pleasure because I... <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I it's a big risk on both sides and... One thing that I talk about a lot when talking about team building is compound mistakes. Um, What that means is when you make a mistake, don't make more mistakes trying to justify your first mistake. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this is a compound mistake for Philadelphia. You know, I think one side you could say they're cutting bait guy who's not working out for them right now. But the other side, you can say, hey, you guys are, you have this great player in the building who was going to be an MVP not that long ago. And you invested a lot into him. They traded a lot of picks to get him in the draft, gave him a huge contract, paid a plan, built a team around him for the last couple of years. And now they're just abandoning that. So we'll see if it's a mistake for Philly or not. Um, but definitely an interesting road for them going forward. Wentz, obviously off the market now. And the Colts got their guy, but there are a lot of uh, other teams that are still looking for their solution at quarterback for next season and beyond. And one of those teams is a team very near and dear to Carlos's heart, the Chicago Bears. Um, they're in a little bit of a mess right now, too. They have uh, Nick Foles under contract. They have Mitch Trubisky, who's been their top and off quarterback for the last few years. Uh, who is a free agent. They got to decide what to do with him as far as resigning him. And they have the 20th pick in the NFL draft, not a not a primary at a quarterback. So, Carlos, how are you feeling about your boys? Uh, what do you think they're going to do at quarterback?
2: How I feel about them, I think they'll be bad next year. What, they'll, what I think they'll do at quarterback is they're going to try their hardest to get somebody without having to give up too much, which I think will ultimately fail. And then they're just going to run it back with Nick Foles. That's what I'm anticipating. I don't see the bears um, trading up to get one of those five quarterbacks in the draft. I think they stick at 20 and then pick uh, some offensive line help. And then maybe take a shot with Kyle Trask in the second round or something like that. Um, Yeah, the Bears are kind of in a mess. Um, I mentioned previously that, you know, I I was a huge supporter of Mitch Trubisky. Um, I thought he could develop to become a really good quarterback. And you kind of put with with the Khalil Mack trade two years ago in 2018, you kind of put all your eggs in the basket with Mitch. Um, You're sinking or swimming with him. And I knew if he didn't succeed, the Bears would be where they're at now. And where they're at now is a eight and eight football team with no quarterback and aging defense and cap issues. And if that's one thing about football that I know is you never want to be in the middle. Um, You either want to be, one of the top teams that can, you know, challenge for a Super Bowl contention or you want to be one of the worst teams so you can take a shot at Trevor Lawrence or someone like that. And the Bears don't have any room pretty much. They can't – even if there's a free agent out there they can sign, Uh, they really don't have cap space to sign that quarterback. Uh, They don't really have assets to trade for a quarterback. So that's why I think Nick Foles is going to stay the quarterback for next year. And then it's just a mess all over because you don't know what uh, the front office and what the head coach, what their plan is. Um, it will be a disaster if they sign Mitch Trubisky back and they're rolling a hand out there again next year after everything we've seen in the past since he got drafted. So yeah, um, obviously a very pessimistic tone for me on the bears. Uh, The only thing that would make me happy is if they do a Ricky Williams trade and get Deshaun Watson, that's it. (laughs) But even then trading the farm for Deshaun, there's still so much, so much um, to improve with that football team. Uh, If, by somehow, some miracle, Deshaun Watson gets traded to the Bears. The Bears are still going to be bad for two or three years because all the draft capital you're giving up, you're not going to be able to use to improve your team. And um, Deshaun Watson just goes from one crap team to another crap team with no hopes for winning in the near future. So even if... The Bears can get Watson. I still don't see how they're going to win football games anytime soon. Um, yeah, it's just it's not good when uh, a high draft pick, the number two overall pick, doesn't pan out, especially at such a crucial position like the quarterback. Yeah, and it's
0: you hit the nail on the head there, too. And I think a lot of Bears fans and I think a lot of people around the NFL look back at that Mitch Trubisky draft and say – what could have happened if they would have drafted John Watson in the first place or Patrick Mahomes or one of those guys? Because um, it really does set your franchise back years when you get the wrong guy.
2: And on that, real quick, the whole Mitch Trubisky draft, and don't get me wrong, I like Ryan Pace, but I think drafting Mitch over Mahomes and Watson is a fireball offense. Uh, he did build a really good defense. But uh, some of the reporting from the Chicago Bears reporters for the Chicago Tribune, they went deep down into the draft and how Ryan Pace kept it a secret that he wanted Mitch. He kept it a secret from John Fox, who was the head coach at the time. He kept it a secret from his scouts. He kept it a secret from pretty much everybody in the whole organization. And apparently a lot of people from, you know, John Fox to, assistant general managers to head scouts did not know they were going to pick Mitch until a couple hours before the draft because Ryan Pace, they don't want it to leak. So um, I think if Ryan Pace would have been able, he would have told people this was his plan. Maybe there would have been more uh, collaboration and people getting into his head that that's not the pick we want. I'm not sure if everybody was on board to get Mitch in the draft, but after reading that report, I, it's kind of just, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And why are you still the general manager?
1: Yeah. So uh, before I comment on the bears, I totally forgot to mention a crazy stat that I heard today with this trade of Carson Wentz, every quarterback, Drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016 is no longer on the roster that they were drafted on. Every quarterback drafted in the first round in those years.
0: God, that kind of continues to speak that to the fact that if you mess up that early round pick with those quarterbacks, it sets you back, and you got to reset your entire franchise, too. That
1: is the and definition of a crap shoot.
2: It, Yeah, I was just going to say, it just goes to show you what a crapshoot it is on drafting a quarterback in the first round. I mean, like, Pat Mahomes fell to, what did he, he got drafted 9 or 10? I think it
1: was 10.
2: If, if everybody knew Pat Mahomes was going to be that, everybody would have been trying to get number one pick, and he would have been the number one overall pick. If everybody knew Mitch was going to be who Mitch was, he probably would have been like a fourth round pick. So you you never know with quarterbacks. Uh, you could get you could hit it with Mahomes with someone like Stafford, or you can completely miss it with you know all pretty much eighty percent of these guys it seems like.
1: Yeah, but uh, back to the Bears. Uh, you you men you brought up a really good point. Um. The lack of collaboration. That is like the death of a franchise in my opinion. Um, You look at what the Lions just went through. uh, It was Patricia and Quinn and that was it. No one else knew what was going on in that organization. And they took a team that was routinely fighting for the playoffs before Patricia was hired to a team that won 9 games in 3 years or something like that. no no they they ended up winning 10 but after Patricia was hired fired <laughs> so yeah you you need the offensive coordinator and you know the defensive coordinator all the position coaches to be involved in that process of deciding what players are we bringing in because they're the ones who are working with those players day after day on the field, before game day. And they know better than the dude who's sitting up in an office yeah. who they can work with. So, you know, that's, sometimes
2: how you end up with an air fever on. Yeah. To speak on that collaboration of uh, that report from Dan Weeder on the Chicago Tribune mentioned that John Fox wanted Deshaun Watson. And so if Ryan Pace maybe ta- told, Hey, this is what I think I want to do. Maybe John Fox convinces him to pick Deshaun Watson there. So I think when you're running a franchise, Uh, making personnel moves, collaboration is hugely important because you and your head coach need to be on the same page on first um, the schematics that your head coach is running and the type of players that he thinks fits his scheme. And then you need to collaborate that with your scouts who need to scout those players with those traits. And then all of that should be a team decision and not just uh, the general manager at the guy on top. And then his word is final and he doesn't take into account everybody's opinion. So, yeah, I totally agree with collaboration is, is essential to running a good football program.
1: Yeah, I, at this point, I just, I feel like they need to hit the reset button. In Chicago, you can for pretty much everyone, but like the young guys like Roquan and Jalen Johnson. and
2: Yeah, I think they will. Um, there, here's the thing with the Bears, though. Uh, the general manager and I believe the head coach, uh, the media and the fans don't know how long their contracts are. Um, it's a major point that the media... Every time they get the owner or the president of the Bears organization, if anytime they get to have a press conference with them, it's always a question that they refuse to answer. And it kind of is holding the Bears back because if Ryan Pace, if he's only on contract for next year, what if he would have made the Carson Wentz trade because he felt like he needed to win now and then the bears suck and Carson Wentz suck. And now Ryan pace is fired. And the next GM has his hands tied behind his back with the lunch trade. I, I think it's important to know how long these guys are under contract for because what if they completely get like trade all of their future assets and just tank the franchise for the next five years, because they try to win now, um, it's, yeah, I think the Bears do need to reset. Like you mentioned, they're still really good young defensive players. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of cat casualties with the Bears. Um, I think Akeem Hicks is probably might get cut. I think we're even talking about maybe if you could trade Kyle Fuller and Unfortunately, I think Eddie Jackson's on the same boat too, just because he hasn't been able to produce as he did back in 2018, which kind of sucks as I'm a huge Eddie Jackson fan, but there's going to be a lot of tough decisions that need to be made by people who we don't know how long they're going to be here for. The
0: act of making a rash decision in order to try to save your job immediately is what is Commonly referred to on this podcast as pulling a Bill (laughs) O'Brien,
2: yeah, where the Bears are. I don't want to say that to the extent of the Texans, but it's kind of heading down that way. Granted, we don't have a franchise quarterback like Deshaun to piss off, but uh, the Bears there, lots of room for improvement with no way to do it.
0: Yeah, so. It's a tough situation for the Bears, but hopefully they're not heading down that Bill O'Brien path. That's one team that's really quarterback needy. Um, you know, we got a few a few more to run over, um, including the Jets, who are now resetting their franchise as well. Uh, all of the, the rumors in the rumor bill have them take the quarterback with the second pick in the draft. This was, you know, the whole season – they were projected to go winless and get Trevor Lawrence. And another thing that brought me endless joy was the Jets uh, upsetting a couple of teams there near the end of the season and lowering their pick down to two, where now we're entering uncharted waters. And instead of getting a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback prospect like Lawrence, who's on that same level as Andrew Luck and John Elway as a prospect, now you're entering the quarterback roulette again you're taking that risk and so far it looks like they're leaning towards Zach Wilson but uh Justin Fields may still be in the conversation there as well so Matt what do you think about a franchise altering decision the Jets have to make here
1: and they uh really butt fumbled their way into a quandary here didn't they
0: (laughs) (laughs) always an appreciated reference on fouled out
1: we still got to get our Falcons joke in at some point
0: Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there, Atlanta (laughs) Um, fans. Don't hold your breath.
1: I actually don't hate the position they're in. I'm actually really torn on what they're going to do. Because when you think about, you know, how bad Sam Darnold has been, and then you think about who was there, it makes a lot of sense why he was so bad. Because Adam Gase has never made a quarterback Better as a head coach, not once. <laughs> um, I mean, we saw what a difference it made for Tannehill when he went to Tennessee, and finally went to a coach that would actually play towards his strengths. The reports were that uh, Lafleur and Sala, when they got to New York, and really started like, cool, you know, looking at Sam Darnold felt like there was a lot of untapped potential there i don't know how much that is you know just some lip service or if they actually really genuinely like him as a quarterback it's hard to say however as a western michigan alum and having seen him playing college against us i wasn't too impressed that being said going with zach wilson is not a bad second option i mean that much arm talent with a coach who is known as that leader of men really inspires confidence in his players uh offensive coach coming from the shanahan tree which is notorious for making things a little bit easier on their quarterbacks and that kind of big arm thrown into that situation, I can see how things could work out really well. So I'm not so worried about them at quarterback. It's just a matter of whether or not they actually take that plunge on Darnold and it misses, or if they do decide, decide to go, hey, we're going to go Wilson, I'm not huge on fields, My guess is that Fields would not be the pick for them. I feel like Salah would rather go with the more aggressive player just based off his personality. But they have the kind of coaching staff out there that can set up a quarterback to succeed. And I think that's a bigger factor than, you know, is this guy good or bad? Because I think a lot of these early round QBs, they end up failing because we're not great at coaching QBs just yet. We're getting better, but the 2000s and early 2010s, we still weren't very good at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that really worries me about Wilson is he reminds me of another guy that we talked about a lot on this podcast, and that's Miss Trubisky. You know, he has the athleticism, he's got some arm talent, but he was a one-year starter in college, and we don't have a whole lot of tape on him, especially because it was a weird season that he started in, but and he's got a lot of arm talent, so it may not be the wrong pick.
2: Well, to add on to your Mitch and Zach Wilson comparison, both of them played on, I don't want to say BYU is like a non-traditional football school, but. It's not a Notre Dame or Ohio State, and it's the same thing with Mitch. He played at UNC, and um, if you think about the competition that they have to play. I'm a little higher on Fields than Matt. I do like Justin Fields quite a bit. You know, he he's had he had bad games, but he's also had some really good games against good competition. Um, I yeah, I would. I don't know about at two either with Wilson or Fields, but. I'm in agreement with Matt. I think the Jets are in a good spot QB wise with whatever decision they make. Um, If they do want to stick with Sam Darnold, take a shot, then they're going to have regrets if it doesn't work out. And then they miss out on one of these quarterbacks and they end up being good. So it's whatever way they go. Obviously it's a risk, you know, when you, talking about a quarterback position and high pick in the draft, no one really knows what's going to happen. I I think it goes back to, Matt referred to this earlier, um, how quarterbacks in early rounds, a lot of them don't pan out. A lot of that has to do with coaching, like you said, Matt. Um, And sometimes we just don't give these guys enough time to develop. It might take. You know, three, four, five years for a quarterback to start developing, unless they got like really good coaching, or you have Andy Reid who can, you know, put uh, Mahomes on the bench and learn land under Alex Smith, and then the next year just become one of the best quarterbacks in the whole NFL. So the coaching or coaching the quarterback position is super crucial. If the coaching staff and Um, The Jets, if they believe in Sam Darnold, I totally see them sticking with him and maybe they try to figure something out. But if they take a kid in the draft, I mean, you also have to think about um, contract situations because Sam Darnold's been in the league for what three, four years now. And at some point he's going to need a contract extension versus if... um, the Jets end up picking a guy they can start over that five-year you know rookie contract with the head coach and then just start from scratch from there and then also you can trade Darnold at that point too which I'm sure a lot of teams would like to take a shot with him the Jets need a lot of talent all around Uh, they're still going to be a a long ways away from competing in my opinion but uh, they got a chance to start riding the ship here with whatever decision they make. And as long as they're confident in whatever quarterback that they choose, I'm sure they'll they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a common theme with a lot of these teams that need a quarterback too, that situation's not great. And yeah. wonder, do they really need a quarterback or do they need to improve the situation around that guy? Um, unfortunately for the Jets, it may be both. After what we've seen from them the last couple of seasons, but.
2: I also want to shout out Adam Gase for getting two head coaching jobs for one good year off of Jay Cutler. So good for him.
0: <laughs> good for Adam Gase. He's still living off his reputation coaching uh, Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. He was Peyton yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, <that> <laughs> so, Uh You know, he, I think he probably pays a certain percentage of his check to Peyton Manning every week. Uh That's right. And, uh, thank you know this is thanks for my latest job. So
1: I feel like Peyton Manning like the connection to Peyton Manning is like a more overlooked effect of like the Sean McVay connection like people just started hiring anyone who worked with Peyton Manning because they thought that like oh well like if you worked with him then like you probably had a part in his development or maybe you learned things from him. now will be great because of that. Whereas like now everyone's like, you know, if you worked with Sean McVay, then obviously you're going to be the next Sean McVay. Right.
2: That's the same thing with Bill Belichick too. Everyone tries to hire, you know, whatever off of his coaching tree. and I,
1: I don't know a single team that's ever done that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill O'Brien was Tom Brady's quarterback coach for a little while there. Um, I think maybe the offensive coordinator in New England, if I'm remembering correctly, but yeah, it turns out sometimes when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time that, uh, maybe it has to do more with the quarterback than it does with the coaches around him. So, so, okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get to some, uh, NBA stuff here. We got some exciting topics coming up with the NBA as well. So see you guys in just a minute. All right, we're back, uh, as they say in show business, now for something completely different. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA. Um, last week, we tackled a few teams, including the Wizards and the Jazz. So, wanted to bring up a couple other teams this week that I think are going through pretty interesting situations. Uh, and first being the Tampa Bay slash Toronto Raptors. They are currently sitting at 16-15, and 15, entering play to play which isn't the best record in the world, but they've gotten up to that record after starting 2-8, and after getting off to one of the slowest starts in the NBA. Uh, They've won their last four, including two games against Milwaukee, one against Philadelphia, and they are now top 10 in not only differential, but also in net rating. So they're coming on really strong as the season gets going. Matt, do you think the slow start is that, something that they should have been worried about or do you think that that is partially because they were located from toronto to play their entire season in tampa bay this year
1: i don't think that helps at all um and there's already on top of that a lot of restrictions for all these players and the schedule is kind of weird you're playing multiple games in the same city, like, over a weekend or whatever. And uh, it's, they had, like, God, how many days off after the finals ended? It wasn't a lot. It was, like, maybe two months most. Um, so teams did not have nearly the break and the offseason that they're used to. Uh, training camp was super weird at the start of training camp i remember uh because i was following the blazers pretty closely at that time because they had a lot of new parts um and the players were talking on and on about how like it's super weird that only one player can go out on the court at a time to work with their coach that is something that these players have never experienced in their entire life. <laughs> like even going back to like elementary school age, like you practice with the whole team. So I'm not surprised that there were a team or two that started off really slow because of all of these weird changes. So
0: yeah, I think to compound that for the Raptors too, they lost a couple of key guys in the offseason, not only from an open-court perspective, but also from a leadership perspective in Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka going to other teams. So it seems like they've it's taken them some time to adjust, but they're playing way better lately. Um, Carlos, how are you feeling about the Raptors' chances in the East?
2: Um, in the East? I mean, I think they're right where they'll end up. I think they're, well, they're in the sixth seed right now or something. I agree with you. I think losing Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka had a big effect on them. And then on top of everything Matt said, um, it, this is another weird season. But, you know, you got to give them credit for uh, turning their season around with how poorly they started. Um, Fred Van Fleet has been playing really good lately, and he's probably the catalyst of that team to the point where uh, they might be even considering trading Kyle Lowry. They're getting a lot of support from um, their bench guys. Uh, what's his name? Norman Powell. I think he's averaging like 17 points a game. He's playing really, really well for them. And then OJ newbie. he's playing a key role too, being that defensive guy and also playing decently offensively. For me, when I look at the Raptors, it's going to be tough for them in a seven-game series. Against, I think it's like versus Philly in particular because uh, I think they're only centers, Aaron Baines. And when you have to stop Joel Embiid for seven straight games, it's going to be really tough for them. And then Siakam, he really didn't have the greatest start to the season, and he's starting to pick it up too. Yeah, the the Raptors are are playing really well lately. Um, Granted, the Milwaukee games last week, Milwaukee didn't have Drew Holiday, and Milwaukee was in the middle of like a five-game losing streak. With Milwaukee not having Drew Holiday, that's kind of hurting them too. But, I mean, it's the NBA, it's sports. Nobody's going to cry you a river, so to say. If you're playing an injured team, you got to, next man step up and you know um with Toronto they're they're playing pretty good now and you know if they can keep it up I, I if they could keep it up and if Siakam can get back to being a you know all-star level type player then maybe they could start thinking about you know a three seed four seed but um there's still lots of basketball left to be played, so we will see. But in my opinion, they'll probably end up where they're at now.
1: Yeah, I, I really like Siakam, but there's there's another aspect of this. So, I mean, with like the rest of the team having struggled, like struggled so much at the start of the season, when you don't have that legitimate superstar, like Siakam, very good player. Yeah. Not a superstar. No. You don't have that Giannis. You don't have that Kawhi, the LeBron, AD, Dame, like Steph. Those players can't lift up the other 11 players on that roster and drag them to a 500 yeah. or better record. They just can't.
0: I wanted to bring up Toronto. I just I think they're a really interesting team because they have such great coaching with Nick Nurse. And the roster is really good, maybe great, but exactly like I said, they don't have, like, the guy on their team to put them over the edge. And we've seen that ever since Kawhi's been gone. You know, all those other players on that team that contributed to that championship when Kawhi was there, they, you know, same situation. They had a really great roster, and they had the guy that put them over the top. So I think they're really – in need of that still. Um, but I do think they have a trade to make besides, uh, you know, either dumping Kyle Lowry or you're kicking him. They do have some good young assets, guys like Chris Boucher and OG Ananobi. You know, we could potentially see a deal, but I don't think it's going to be the caliber of that Kawhi deal they made a couple years ago. So, uh, you know, they're playing great. They have great stats um, as far as their point differential and the net rating and all that points to them being a really good team. And they're well-coached. Uh, yeah, I don't – I had a list of teams I thought could win a championship on the last podcast, and they are uh, on your list, even though they're playing well. So
2: uh, so who is your list?
0: Uh, the list from the last podcast, there was only five teams. Uh, the Lakers, Clippers, the 76ers, the – I'm going to miss one – the Brooklyn Nets, and the Utah Jazz. Uh, I'm be bullish on the Jazz right now. So, match. I
2: I love the Jazz. The Jazz are playing so good. It I like to watch them play basketball. Donovan Mitchell's been amazing. I want to (laughs) cry. This is. I'm
0: going to tell you. This is the number one Jazz fan podcast outside of podcasts that are like probably dedicated to the Utah because <laughs> I, I gushed over them last week for like 30 minutes. And then I also picked them to go to the finalists. Um, you know, I, I won't get yeah, everything, but just the way they are shooting the three ball right now. Lights making, out, man.
2: Yeah. They're making the
0: most threes per game on the most attempts. And um, they, they actually lost to the Clippers. The other day, right after I recorded that podcast and put it out. And then they came back against Charlotte and set a team record with 28. It's just like, <laughs> I love these guys. And I think, oh, Uh
1: crazy thing the other day, uh, the Blazers lost to, I want to say it was the Suns the other day, but they lost the game while making 13 more threes.
2: That's unusual in this day. (laughs)
1: Like, that never happens.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It really shouldn't be possible, but it actually Uh, –
1: had, like, two 40-point quarters, and then, like, the second and fourth quarter were, like, awful. (laughs) So –
2: The Suns are another interesting team to talk about, too, because they got Chris Paul now, and now that team's kind of, like, a a nice – Decent team. DeAndre Ayton's playing decent. Devin Booker's Devin Booker. I. They got a lot of talent on that team. I'm really interested to see if they make the playoffs and what they can do, depending on matchups. Um, I think with young basketball players, I think it's like DeAndre Ayton. I think it's super important to get that experience of the playoffs. Um, I don't anticipate them like. Making it far, maybe like a first round exit, maybe a second round, depending on matchups. But if DeAndre Ayton can get some really good experience playoff wise, just to see what it takes to play in a seven game series, how much effort, how much film you have to watch, I think it'd be like really important for his develop development on top of you know as well as Devin Booker too. But I think Phoenix, they're a fun team to watch as well.
1: The physicality too. Um, yeah for sure uh i definitely see the suns making playoffs my question is can monty williams coach that team in a way that is going to elevate them um
2: they also have chris paul who's kind of a coach on the court as well so i mean they they got a lot in chris paul in particular they got like leadership to you know guide the young players so um and i mean monty williams i I think he's a really you know decent coach and with he can lean on chris paul too but i i kind of agree with you
1: hopefully the answer is no and then devin booker's like i'm out of here i'm gonna come back to michigan
0: (laughs) (laughs) speaking of devin booker um you kind of mentioned this with portland too, and we talked a little bit about how training camp was weird this year. Devin Booker kind of got off to a slow start this year, and the more he's adjusted to playing with Chris Paul, the more his stats are like skyrocketing through the roof. Yeah, you know, so they they just need I think they just needed some time, just like the Raptors, they needed some time to gel, especially after having a really weird off season and getting into like a weird year.
2: And then I think that's also a thing with any regular NBA season too, you know, it, it takes 10, 15, 20 games to start seeing teams, you know, being fine tuned and playing well and seeing good basketball. And I think we're starting to get to that point or we've passed that point already where all every NBA, unless, you know, you're really garbage like the Cavs or something, but you're, we're seeing this point where all these basketball teams are playing pretty well together.
0: Yeah. On the, uh, on the flip side of that, we have a team like the Boston Celtics who have started to play worse as time has gone on. Um, one thing I thought was going to be really important coming into the season was cohesiveness and teams that have been together for multiple years I thought were going to have a big advantage over teams that had a lot of new parts to move in. And the Celtics started really good, uh, but now 15-15 and 15 overall – 7 and 12 in their last 19 games. And they just can't seem to put any wins together even though they have a ton of talent on that team and guys who have been together for multiple years. so
1: I think they cannot wait for the All-Star break. This is really concerning for me because we know talent is not the issue and we know damn well that coaching isn't the issue. Brad Stevens might be the most advanced coach in the NBA. Um, But we do know that last year in the playoffs, there were a lot of reports of infighting on that team. And it's concerning to see them playing so poorly now after that good start because you don't have a whole lot of infighting when you're winning. So is that stuff starting up again? Like, is that going to be the the case again at the end of the year? Like, it's not a good sign because we're not even halfway through the year. Yeah, I
0: think that's a really interesting point because they had similar problems a few years ago when Kyrie was there, and – Kyrie Irving really took a lot of the blame for those issues. And when he left, there was so many players that were saying, oh, we feel so relieved and things are going to be so much better now. And, you know, we're here a couple of years later and they're having all the same problems. They, you know, they're not playing great basketball right now. They can't really seem to get out of their own way. And one of the things I noticed when looking at uh, team stats this year they are 28th in the league in assists per game, which kind of indicates that they're playing a lot of ISO ball with guys like Jason Tatum. And, you know, Brad Stevens offense is supposed to be about like a higher level of basketball. It's all about ball movement, getting everybody involved and they're just not doing that. So uh, Carlos, how are you feeling about the Celtics chances of turning this thing around? And what are you thinking about where they are so far?
2: I think they'll turn it around. Um, I think they're too good everywhere to not turn it around, to be a 500 team. I mean, they made it, what, to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And Jason Tatum is an amazing basketball player. Jalen Brown's also an amazing basketball player. And I wonder if a lot of it has to do with Marcus Smart being out, too. Um, He's been, I can't remember if he's been out for a couple weeks or a couple games, but yeah, the inconsistency is kind of um, weird to say the least. You know, Brad Stevens being such a good coach, and I think the stats you just pointed out just it kind of seems like they're not playing as a basketball team at that point. But which is weird because when I watch them play basketball, it looks like they're passing the ball, sharing it. But then you there's lots of instances when you do see isolation ball and then uh, Kemba is not I mean he's having a good year but you know I think with Kemba trying to figure out his role on that team um, he, he probably doesn't know what to do as much because if you watch a lot of the Celtics games you know Jason Tatum's bringing the ball up Jalen Brown's bringing the ball up uh, yeah Kemba brings the ball up sometimes too um, but I think Kemba's trying to figure out his role there and, you know, maybe at some point they do start figuring it out and Kemba's playing great Tatum and Brown continue playing great, but it, it's weird because uh, the Pelicans game the other day, you know, they went up 15, 20 points or something like that. And new Orleans came right back and ended up winning in overtime, I believe. So, uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it goes to, they're still a young team. I mean, Tatum's only 22 years old, Brown's 24 and you, like I was mentioning earlier with Aiden and playoff experience, you would think that uh, this team would know what it takes to start winning some ball games and can start stringing some wins, but it's just not happening for them. And, um, Yeah, maybe there is some underlying issue, but uh, I think with the talent that they have and with Brad Stevens, I think they'll turn it around and come playoff time, they should be ready to start playing against anybody in a seven-game series.
1: I wonder how much of this is just the pressure that particularly Tatum and Brown have had on them since they were, like, 19, 20 years old. Like, everyone knew they were good, and they were, like, going to be stars. And there was this pressure on them to be, like, this turning point for the Celtics and carry them to a championship, especially together. And it just hasn't come to fruition. And I almost wonder if like now that they've had a few runs together, like the pressure of it not having come to fruition yet is starting to weigh on them. The team is starting to press a little bit too much.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, especially being a basketball team in Boston. You know, Boston sports fans, they expect championships every year. So, um, when you have that type of expectation with a bunch of, I mean, it is what it is, you know. They win championships damn near <laughs> every
0: year. <laughs> we are we spoiled for sure. We are definitely spoiled. I was actually looking at Kemba, and I was thinking about the situation with Kyrie Irving back when Kyrie Irving was the point guard of the Celtics and they had Tatum and Brown. I was kind of thinking that these guys have never played with a past first point guard. Kemba is more of a scorer. Kyrie Irving, definitely a scorer. Do you think that the Celtics would take back the Kemba deal if they could? Do you think they would rather have had that salary for someone else, or do you think they're happy with having Kemba Walker be their point guard?
1: I think it can work with Kemba, but I think we need to step away from the idea that guys like Tatum and Brown – need to be primary ball handlers on a possession to maximize their impact because the reality is both of them absolutely have the skill set to murder off ball. So why are we taking the ball out of Kemba's hand more more possessions than not and making him play off ball when yeah, he can play off ball, but like that's nowhere near where he's most effective. Um, yeah, more- I
2: definitely, I definitely think Kemba can be a primary ball handler and dishing the ball to these guys. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is the grass isn't always greener type question where um, maybe if you didn't take on Kemba, who would it, who would be the point guard then? So. I don't know if there, there, would, there is or was a point guard at the time that would be a perfect fit for Boston. Uh, but like I said, I think Boston just – I don't know what it is to figure it, for them to figure it out, but I think they will figure it out. I, I still think they're a really good basketball team. Maybe more ball movement, maybe – people figuring out their roles, maybe having Tatum and Brown off ball a bit more, uh, but that's it, probably Stag- more Brad Stevens doing than the players.
1: I think they might need to stagger their minutes more too, so that
2: yeah, so for sure,
1: primary ball handler is with other players on the court and not necessarily just the other two.
0: I tend to agree. I think the Celtics are going to get it figured out as well. Um, I think the big thing for them right now is they just got to get that ball hopping around. I watched that game that you mentioned against the Pelicans over the weekend and, you know, at the last possession of the game instead of, you know, not overtime but in regulation, uh, instead of having, like, a classic incredible Brad Stevens play that he has this huge, you know, he's got a huge rubber claw, like fantastic plays. They uh, – Meso for Tatum. And he hit the shot to send it to overtime to his credit, but, you know, I, I think they really got to run the offense there a little bit more. Like I said, get that ball hopping around. And, uh, you know, like you said, Marcus Smart hasn't played in a month. It'll help them to have him back a lot too uh, from a leadership perspective. And then also the fact that he was leading the team in assists before he got injured with a uh, 6.5 a game. So then uh, my last thing on them, they uh, they have a move to make still too. They have a $27 million trade exception from the Gordon Hayward deal. So for anyone that doesn't know, the trade exception um, basically makes it so that you do not have to uh, match players' salaries when you make a trade. You can take on an additional $27 million of salary um, with that exception. So they have a deal to make. Uh, there's a couple guys out there that they may be interested in.
1: A lightly used Blake Griffin?
0: Uh, Blake Griffin could be a guy Um, I heard Harrison Barnes Rumors a little bit too so Yeah I would look at guys in that range I don't think that They're going to necessarily Do a deal where they gotta trade a lot of stuff back It'll probably be like Romeo Langford And Grant Williams And some of those other younger guys Maybe like a future pick or something But I I know you Detroit fans Would take all that for Blake So
1: (laughs) maybe it will be Blake (laughs) <laughs> no, but uh, I I tend to agree with you in that they need to get the ball moving a lot more with like the classic Brad Stevens offense because yeah you had the scorer has to work a lot harder on an ISO play in order to score than they do when the entire team on the court is working to set that up. You get a, a good look a lot easier from running a play than you do doing it yourself.
0: For sure. So we'll see if Brad Stevens can get that turned around. Certainly a really talented coach. So, uh, one more team I wanted to talk about since we got Carlos here, uh, that is the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Chicago is currently 14 and 16. They're in eighth place in the East. But – playing a really fun brand of basketball in my opinion they're fourth in pace right now and they have a pretty incredible backcourt with uh, Zach Levine and Kobe White so been kind of a a little bit more positive conversation I hope about the Bulls and the Bears but
2: I am happy ecstatic Um, good (laughs) I yeah this will be way more positive Uh, ever since they fired Jim Boylan Garford and John Paxson I was happy. Uh, There was change needed to be made. Jim Boylan was probably the worst coach in the whole NBA. Um, And then they hired one of the best coaches in the whole NBA. And the difference is night and day. You know, as you mentioned, they're top five in pace. I believe they're still top 10, top 15 in points per game. Uh, The offense is an offense. It looks good. Uh, The only concerning thing is their defense. Granted, I understand when they push the ball so much and your pace is so high, you're going to get a lot of points scored on you. But um, that needs to be worked on a bit more. But, I mean, I got nothing but positives to say on the Bulls. The Bulls are playing great. Well, they're playing good. Uh, They're competitive. They're competitive against real good teams. It's still a young team. Um, there's going to be hiccups here and there. And, you know, there's a couple blowout games that we've been on the wrong side of. But, I mean, there's a lot of games, for the most part, where you're competitive. They played Philadelphia to the wire uh, the other night. Um, but that Philadelphia game, it, it showed a, a large deficiency in the roster construction, which is the big men. Uh, Joel Embiid had 50 points against us, and granted, Wendell Carter had a good game, too. Uh, We're out without Laurie Markkinen, but what the Bulls don't have is that big, strong, defensive, center, big guy that can rebound the ball, that can get you 10 boards a game. The Bulls don't have that, and then when when you match up against Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis, those type of players, they're going to destroy the Chicago Bulls, but uh, that's for, that's worries for another day when we can actually make the playoffs. Um, there's still, uh, I, I believe this is, this team can make the playoffs. Um, I don't know if they can win a round in the playoffs. They're still really young. Like I said, there's still lots of things that can be approved on. But, you know, the, this is as good as I thought it could be, short of, you know, Laurie marketing averaging twenty eight points, Kobe White averaging thirty, Zach averaging thirty five, and the Bulls a championship team. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I'm happy. This this is fun team to watch. I, there's still lots of room for improvement, and you know, I, I think uh, I think they can make the playoffs.
1: I told you about Patrick Williams.
2: Oh my God, man! Yes, you were right. He is. Amazing! I love him so much. He's just so even-keeled, no emotion. He really doesn't have any bad games, but just consistent all around. He's playing. He's picking up the best offensive player. He's playing good defense, or as good as defense as you can against you know the likes of LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. I mean, there's you 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 threw him into the thick of it. You threw him into the fire, and he's Playing good, he's you know his mid-range game is already really good at an NBA level. His corner three-point shooting is really good, Uh, and he just doesn't really make rookie mistakes. I mean, he's solid basketball player all around, and I think uh, Karnašovis and Mark Eversley they they got it right with this pick, and I'm just hoping you know he can develop to either be you know, a Kawhi Leonard-type player or, a you know, number two, and then hopefully, you know, Zach can play some defense, and then you got a real good two-punch right there, one two-punch with Zach and Patrick Williams, with Patrick Williams being your defensive stopper who can get you 15, 20 points a game. Yeah they're, yeah,
0: they're definitely a fun team to watch right now. So just for the sake of enjoying the first round of the NBA playoffs, I'm hoping that they make it over you know they're about a half game of the heat right now yeah and unfortunately i think the heat are going to figure their stuff out eventually but i the heat bore me to death and I'd yeah watching them so i'd rather watch like the bulls who are going to fly up and down the court high scoring games and watch guys like levine and kobe white and Lori Markin, who's looked better this year than he did last year he seems like he's a little happier so so I think we're, we're coming up on our time here. Um, you guys got any other like NBA quick hitters you want to throw out before we uh, sign off?
1: Quick shout out to the job that Dame has done this year. Uh, if it wasn't for a couple of other guys, I feel like he would or at least should be leading an MVP charge because without Nurkic and McCollum, he had that team surging for a little bit. I know they've dropped a couple now, but um, putting up almost 30 a game, eight assists, I think around four rebounds. Uh, He's really been dragging this team uh, into the four seed, was where I saw them last, um, which I believe would have put them at fifth overall in the NBA in record. (laughs) Uh, which not a great look for the East, <laughs> um. But he's he's always been incredible. But what he's doing this year is special.
2: My shout out goes to the New York Knicks and Tom Thibodeau. Shout out to Thibs. I'm happy he has a team that team back to somewhat 500. Julius Randall's playing great. He brought back Derrick Rose. Hopefully, you know, I'll be rooting for them because I love Rose and Tibbs. So, shout out to them. Yeah,
0: I got one quick shout out, too. Mine is uh, to the Atlanta Falcons, who blew a 20 point <laughs> <laughs> Super Bowl. Oh,
1: <laughs> I got it in before the end of the podcast.
2: Nice. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: so, all right, Carlos, thank you guys for doing this. Um, thank you, everybody, yeah, thank- for listening. You can find us on Pretty much every major podcast outlet, uh, but especially Spotify. We love Spotify. That's our brand. so uh, appreciate it, guys. We'll talk soon. Yep. yep. Thanks talk for having you. me. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye, mom.